invite you, if you have your Bibles this morning, to turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. We find ourselves in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, this morning. Read in just a moment, the little ones are getting rounded up. Luke 15. And we will begin reading in verse 11. Luke 15, verse 11, let us now hear the word of the Lord together. And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. And he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough in despair, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy servant. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. We trust God will add his blessing the reading of his own holy and errant and infallible word. Let's unite our hearts in a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful for this passage that we have read this morning. God, no doubt many of us in the church of God today have heard this passage preached upon. We have read it many a time. But God, how it comes with freshness again to our souls. And so God, we pray that we would take a passage that thy people have read many times and bring new insight, make it alive again to our heart. Might the basic things that we've learned so many years ago not slip from our minds. So God, we pray, come and give the anointing touch to the preacher of the word. God, I admit unto thee, O God, this morning, how inadequate, how incapable, how unworthy I am to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. But God, you have called the foolish things to confound the wise. 
And so, God, I pray that you would take these lips of clay and allow them to speak forth the marvelous works of God. And that, Lord, that thy people would leave here rejoicing, God, in the wonderful Savior that we have. A wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord, taketh my burdens away. God, might we rejoice this morning in that wonderful Savior that we have in the person of the Lord Jesus. So God, come, move in our midst, grant the power of the Holy Spirit to both preacher and hearer alike, the God that we might leave here knowing that we have met with Thee. If we ask it all in Jesus' name, Amen. Today, we encounter in this passage a son who wanted all but his father. We encounter a son that despised his father. We encounter a son that demanded from his father. And we encounter a son that ultimately departed from his father. He was a son that was taught the word from his father's knee. He heard the law of God read in the home and in the synagogue. He heard the prayers of his father as he pled for his soul. He heard, no doubt, uh, even what was required of him as he memorized the word of God. But though the son's eyes were ever toward the world... He, excuse me, though the son's eyes were ever directed towards the word, his heart was yearning for the things of the world. And when he finally came of age, the lust of his heart became manifest. The son felt that he knew better than his father, and he would go and live his life according to his own rules. He would be a self-autonomous man without any courtesy, he demands from his father his inheritance. Apparently, without any hesitation, the father grants him this request. We read in our passage that the son gathered his belongings and departed for a far country. The son lived it up and squandered and wasted his inheritance. The son we find after he squandered and wasted all that the father gave him. We find the son in a helpless, hopeless, and hungering condition. And what was even worse was the fact that a famine had now come into the land. And the only job that he could find was feeding swine. He could not eat the pig's food for it was not fit for man. And we read that there came a point in his life that he was awakened out of his madness, because that's what it was. It was madness, insanity. We read that he came to himself. Or you could translate it this way. He came to his senses. The son then realized the servants in his father's house had it far better than he did. The son came to realize that he had sinned against the father and felt utterly unworthy to be accepted of him. The son then begins to rehearse in his mind what he would prepare to say to the father when he would see him. No doubt he rehearsed what he would say again and again and again, and he just was picturing that moment when he would see his father and what he would say. 
And though the son had wandered far in sin, we find here a father that had not wandered in his love for his son. The father day by day arose and looked from the highest point of the town in all directions for his son's return. The father was waiting and longing for his son's return and was ready to abundantly pardon. And we read in this passage that when the father saw the son coming, he ran to the son and covered him with kisses. The son who was naked and destitute was clothed in with the finest of garb. The son was, who was famished was now feasting at the father's table, and the lamb was his portion. What a glorious picture this is to us of a father's love. We, who once were in the far country, have found the eternal embrace of the father. So it is my desire today that we may learn the love of our Heavenly Father. And this is the love that us earthly fathers need to demonstrate towards our own children. But beyond this, you that may have prodigals, how are you to respond to them when they return? Will you respond in wrath or in grace? Will you be quick to forgive or quick to deal out judgment. And in light of this, I want to bring you the message this morning, unthinkable sin, unshakable love. Unthinkable sin, unshakable love. I want you to see, first of all, with me this morning, a son in prodigal living. We find this in verse 11 through verse 20. We here we find a son living in all sorts of wickedness and prodigal living. The first thing I want you to see about the son living in prodigal living is that we find the son roaming in sin. Look with me in verse 12 and 13. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Here we find the son roaming in sin. The first thing I want you to see about him roaming in this sin is an utter disrespect for his father. Note what he says in verse 12. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. You can hear it in the tone of his voice. Father, give me. Here is no respect of authority. Here was a thought of mere entitlement. It was normal in those days to get an inheritance only after the death of the father, just as it is today. And the son viewed the father as dead and worthless to him. And he said, Father, it is as if you are dead to me. Give me now mine inheritance. I am no longer under your dominion, no longer under your domain. I will go and live my life as I so please. One writer said, this act pictures all sinners related to God the Father by creation who waste their potential privileges Refuse any relationship with him, choosing instead a life of sinful self-indulgence. 
And this is what many in the world has chosen. They have chosen to refuse any relationship with God. And instead they want to live the life of self-indulgence. I want to satisfy my flesh. I want to do what pleases me. Give me what I want now. I will live as I please. I am the captain of my ship. I am the captain of my fate. I will determine what is right. And I will determine what is wrong. This is a rebellious spirit that the son has. Not only do we see him treating his father with disrespect, but we see him now distant from the father in verse 13. After the father gives him and divides to him his living, we read in verse 13 that he took his journey into a far country. Rather than staying in the shelter of his father, he decides to fend for himself. He now seeks to separate himself as far as he can from the father. The son is likely thinking that he could outrun the teachings of his father. No doubt many of a person that has been raised in the church of God that feels like this prodigal. They go and they leave. They're trying to outrun the teachings of their father, their mother, their pastor, their Sunday school teachers, those within the church trying to outrun the Lord. But can I remind you what David said? David said, whither could I go from the presence of the Lord? You cannot outrun the convicting presence of Almighty God. You cannot outrun. You can dwell even as it were in hell, David said, and there the Lord would be there. You cannot outrun the presence of the Lord. The son wanted to abandon the law of his father and be a law to himself. The son showed his immaturity. For we read in that verse, number 13, that he wasted his substance with riotous living. He squandered his living. He did not simply blow his money, but was living a life of great immorality. We read in verse 30, what did he spend all this money on? Well, verse 30 says... But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. Not only was he wasting his money on all sorts of other things, but he had wasted his money on harlots and sexual immorality. He was living a life of wanton pleasure. The Greek word here, the word prodigal, carries the idea of utter debauchery. He was spending his life in prodigal living, in utter debauchery. Rather than taking the high road, he took the low road. And when you decide to leave the father's house for so-called greener pastures, what you will find is a dunghill and a garbage heap. The one who leaves his father's house in pursuit of riches will find, as Paul said to Timothy, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The one who leaves his father's house in pursuit of immorality lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. Proverbs six thirty-two and 33. So to continue in open sin 
is a very dangerous thing. To continue in open sin is very dangerous, for the time will come in which we read in Romans 1.28 that he will give you over to a reprobate mind. That is a mind that is seared. You know, there is a deadline with God. If you continue in sin long enough, and you want it long enough, eventually God will give you exactly what you want. He will give you your sin, and He will turn you over a reprobate mind, never to ever be dealt with by the sweet Spirit of God ever again. Have you wondered far away from the Father? Maybe there's someone that you love dearly, and they have wandered far away from the Father's house. They may have been raised in the church of God. They were taught the scriptures. They were taught the word. They were catechized. They made a profession of faith. They were baptized. And whenever they got older, they left and they wanted nothing to do with God. Our hearts should plead for their souls, travail in birth until Christ be formed in you. As the Apostle Paul said, they're distant from the Father. Not only do we find him distant from the Father, we find the Son roaming in sin with disrespect of the Father, distant from the Father. But secondly, not only roaming in sin, but we find the, the Son reaping from sin. Those that roam in sin will soon reap from their sin. In verse 14 through 16. Read this with me. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went in, he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. He would have fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Paul, some years later, would write, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Galatians 6 and verse 7. It is a law of scripture. It is a law of science. That you reap what you sow. More than you sow. And always later than you sow. If you reap in the ground a tomato plant. And you plant those tomato seeds in the ground. Guess what? Once you plant that one seed and that plant begins to grow up, you're going to get more than one tomato. You're going to reap more than what you've sowed. But you always reap later than you sow. And so it is with sin. When a man sows his wild oats, he doesn't see the fruit of it immediately. And when he, the fruit finally begins and the plant finally begins to grow, he will be reaping more than he sowed. And it will always be later than he sowed. The son here enjoyed the pleasures of sin for a season. And he likely here hobnobbed with the big wigs and he lived a life of wanton immorality as we read in verse 30. But his sin pursued him and found him out. The bread of deceit was sweet, but afterwards his mouth was filled with gravel. Proverbs 20:17. We read, a famine arose in that land, and he was in great need because he squandered his inheritance. And he was brought to the greatest degradation imaginable to the Jewish mind. 
feeding the pigs, who were considered the most unclean animal. His sin brought him to a place in which he was starving. He would have gladly ate the pods that the swine ate, but he could not because they were undigestible by man. This man was reduced to complete helplessness and began to beg, but not even anyone would give anything to him. He was in total despair. No man would even give anything to this beggar. I wonder this morning, are you reaping from sinful choices that you have made? Are ones you love, there's nothing sadder to see ones you love reaping from the sinful choices that they have made. These reapings of sin will either drive you to either further rebellion against God or resolution to follow God. Many have learned that it is fun to sow wild oats, but it is never fun to reap them. Dr. R.G. Lee, the late pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, used to say, you can eat the devil's corn if you want to, but he'll choke you on the cob. That is exactly what the devil does with sin. It is pleasurable at first, but at the end it brings death. That is exactly what James said. He said, lust when it is conceived bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. So we find the Son roaming in sin. We find Him reaping from the effects of sin. But we find Him also, praise the Lord, repenting of His sin. In verse 17, look with me. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. He came to himself. He came to his senses. The son's life of luxury and immorality brought him to the lowest time in his life. And here we have seen the finished product of the devil's art. The devil makes big promises but comes up short every time. When the son came to himself, this was not just something the son decided to do in and of his own free will. The son was blinded by sin. He was blinded by self. He was blinded by Satan. And it was in a state of spiritual madness. When he came to his senses, it was a result of the Holy Spirit working in his own heart. The Holy Spirit brought about a repentance that led to salvation. And in this passage, we find repentance consisting in three things. Verse 18, it first consists of confession. I will arise and go to my father, say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. That is confession. And what is confession? It is saying the same thing about sin that God does. It's not just saying, Lord, 
I cussed and I should have never done that, but it's acknowledging what the Word of God says about taking His name in vain and saying, yes, Lord, I agree. That the one that takes your name in vain will not be held guiltless. And Lord, I pray, have mercy upon my soul. It is acknowledging and saying the same thing about sin that God says about sin. Not only do we find here confession, but we find in verse 19, contrition. He said, I am no more worthy to be called thy son. And my friend, have you ever come to God in repentance, not only in confession, but contrition, feeling so unworthy, saying like David, Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, feeling utterly broken about your sin. And here the son says, I am not even worthy to be called thy son. And as you come to the Lord in confession of your own sin at times, you might have even used the word of this son. You have come to the Lord in prayer and you have said to him, Lord, I really blew it today. Lord, I'm not even worthy to be called thy son. Confession, contrition, but only confession and contrition, that's not all that repentance consists of. But notice thirdly in this repentance, there is a change of direction. Look with me in verse 18. He said, I will arise and go to my father. He is living, leaving the pigsty. He is leaving his worldly living behind him. He is going in a different direction towards the Father's house. Verse 20, And he arose and came to his Father. There is a change of direction. And these three things consist of biblical Repentance, a confession, a contrition, and a change of direction. He that confesseth and forsaketh his sin shall have mercy, the writer of Proverbs said. So I ask you this morning, have you confessed your sins? Said the same thing about them that God has said. Have you mourned over your sin? Sin is not only against our fellow man, but sin ultimately is high treason against God, sinning against the holy and transcendent God. Have you not only confessed your sin, but have you forsaken it? Jesus taught in the previous chapter in Luke 14, 33, that whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. True repentance brings not only a change of mind about who Jesus is, but a change of direction in my manner of life. Have you acknowledged your sin, but have simply continued living the exact same way? How many people, as we were speaking between services, have walked down an aisle, and they have been called forward to make a decision for Christ? And they made a decision for Christ, so they say, they acknowledge that He is Lord, they confess with His mouth, and so forth. But they, contend, they walk out the doors and they continue living the exact same way. There's been no true repentance wrought. There's been no confession. There's been no contrition. There's been no change of direction. The son left rebellious, but now he returns repenting to his father's house. 
But the question is, as the Son now will arrive to the Father's house, how will the Son be received? Is the Father going to be waiting with a big rod in His hand to bring swift judgment upon His Son? Is the Father waiting to turn away His Son and say, You are dead to me, just as you said that I am dead to you, you are dead to me. Leave and never see me again. How will the Son be received? Not only a Son in prodigal living, but notice secondly with me in verse 20 through 24, the sovereign in pursuing love. Look with me in verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. Now, my friend, this speaks volumes. I don't know what particular town they lived in. I know that this is a parable and illustration. But no doubt, he, the father, must have arisen every single morning to look for his son. The sovereign in pursuing love, he recognized him from afar. He saw him afar off. Albert Barnes said this, commenting on this passage. This is a beautiful description. The image of his father's happening to see him clad in rags, poor, emaciated, and yet he recognized his son. And all the feelings of a father prompted him to go and embrace him. Here comes the son. He has not eaten for a period of time. He has grown scrawny and skinny. He is clad, clad in rags. He is poor. He is emaciated. But yet the father, seeing him from a distance, recognizes him and says, This is my son though totally unrecognizable to his father's servants and his brother, the father knew exactly who it was. The father likely went every day to a certain spot to look for the return of his son. And this was the day that the father longed for and yearned for. Can you imagine the father going to that same spot, looking for his son in all directions, and then he sees one coming and clad in rags and the distance in the haze. What a happy news to hear and to see our prodigals coming home. And this is what the father saw. The prodigal son was coming home. The father was not waiting to scold his son. But he was there ready to forgive and offer mercy. And what an instruction this gives us today concerning the prodigals of the church. And what instruction this says to you and I today. That when you and I sin, when we feel like we have blown it, when we feel like we are no more worthy to be called His Son, when we repent and we come to God, God is not waiting to lay lashes in judgment upon us. But He is a God plenteous in mercy, ready to forgive more ready to forgive than to hear our confession of sin. Not only did he recognize him, but notice secondly, that when he saw him, he then ran to him. We read that he had compassion, or as is translated elsewhere, he was moved with compassion. It was a love that caused him to take off running to the sun. 
What a beautiful picture. The Father is eager to forgive. And when you and I come to the Father in confession and contrition and wanting to change a direction, He comes running to where you and I are, not wanting to bring swift hands of judgment, but to pour in the oil and the wine. The Father with great joy pursues His Son as He had just crested the horizon. This imagery shows us the God of scriptures, unlike all the other so-called gods invented by men, are so different. The Lord is not unconcerned about or hostile, but by his very nature is a Savior who is long-suffering to sinners. He joys over the repentance of one who comes to him in faith. We read that in verse 7 of this Chapter, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons that need no repentance. Verse 10, likewise I say unto you that there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Joy in heaven. The son experienced the words that are found in Micah 7. And verse number 18, and let me read you them. Who is a God like unto thee, that pardoneth iniquity, and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities, and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. This is the type of God. This is a type of father that this son experienced. And this is the same God that comes to you and I today. A God that passeth by transgression of the remnant of his heritage. A God who does not retain his anger forever. A God who today delights in mercy. And if you come to your senses and you repent of your sins... Your heavenly Father will run to you with joy. All other so-called gods would have scolded or even executed such a son, but not Jehovah. There is no God like Jehovah. Not only did he recognize him, not only did he run to him, but thirdly, the Father received him. We read next in our passage that he fell on his neck and kissed him. Notice that with me. In verse 20, he fell on his neck and kissed him. The son was not rejected, but accepted. Christ said, In him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. He fell on his neck and he embraced him. This was the day that the father had been waiting for, the day of welcoming back his son. And we're not told how long the son had left him and left home, but still the father embraced him. And at this reception, the son begins to pour out his planned speech of repentance to the father. Remember what the son was going to say in verse 18? He said, I will rise, I will go to my father, and I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And no more were that to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And the son now, as the father has embraced him, the son begins to 
pour out this planned speech, this planned repentance before the Father in verse 21. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and no more worthy to be called thy son. He can only get out half of it. Before the Father calls for him to be clothed with the best of robes, to put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, this shows us how eager the Father is to forgive. This shows us that God our Father is quick and ready to forgive. The Father is eager to forgive His people. We read next that He kissed Him. Or as one translated it, Darby in his translation said that He covered Him with kisses. And that is the idea of the word. Kisses is being completely covered and smothered with kisses. It wasn't just one kiss. It was constantly being kissed and covered with kisses. This certainly shows the affection of the Father over the Son. Certainly the words of the prophet Zephaniah come to my mind. Zephaniah said in Zephaniah 3.17, He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. And this is what the Father was doing to the Son. He was rejoicing over Him with joy, resting in His love, rejoicing over Him with singing. No doubt the Father was doing this as He embraced the Son. Not only did He do this, but He then robed Him forthly in verse 22. The Father said to His servants, bring forth the best robe. You understand the Son had nothing to wear but filthy rags. Now the son was given a new robe to be clothed with. And this robe that was called for was the best robe. This is a picture of the robe of righteousness. Being clothed with the righteousness of Christ. You and I come to the Father with rags. And He is the one that gives us riches. He is the one that clothes us with the garments of salvation. Isaiah 61.10 He hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. The old garment must be removed and the new garment put on. So I ask you as you are in the presence of the Lord today, what clothes do you wear? Do you come in wearing rags? Are you dressed in the robe of righteousness? There is only one garment that will do, and it is the one that is given freely and sovereignly and cannot be earned or bought with money. It is a perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we will be robed in it one day as you read the book of the Revelation 21 and 22. It says that we will be robed in the garments of salvation and robes of righteousness. And the company of the redeemed will walk with him through those streets of gold. You need that robe of perfect righteousness. But he rejoiced with him as well in verse 23 and 24. Not only did he robe him, but then he fed him. In verse 23, bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. The son who had nothing to eat now has a continual feast at his father's house. Tyndale who was that martyr that was martyred for translating the Bible into English, pointed out and commenting on this passage that Christ is the fatted calf, slain to make penitent sinners good cheer with all. And His righteousness is the goodly raiment to cover the naked deformities of their sins. 
we who have been robed in Christ's perfect righteousness, continually feast upon the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. We now rejoice that He, that we, who are mere children of the dunghill, have now been exalted to such a privileged position. We rejoice in the perfect sacrifice and perfect righteousness that is ours by virtue of faith and faith alone in the Redeemer. So in conclusion, we saw the Son in prodigal living, but in contrast to that we saw the Father in pursuing love. And seeing such a love from the Father, it should drive us this day to imitate the love of our Heavenly Father, even those that have done us wrong, those that have sinned against us, when they come in repentance, and they come in tearful repentance asking our forgiveness, we should respond in a very similar manner. We are to love as He loves. But beyond the fathers, this speaks to us all. Charles Wesley was right when he penned the words, A love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. And in light of your unthinkable sin and his unshakable love, I ask you this morning, will you commit your all to him? He has come running to you with hands dropping in sweet-smelling myrrh. He has embraced you, and he has whispered in your ears that you are his beloved, and he is yours forever. He has covered you with kisses. He has robed you in perfect righteousness and fitted you for heaven above. He has given you a seat at the table, as the book of Ephesians says, you are already seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. No wonder C.T. Studd, that great missionary, said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. His amazing grace demands my life, my soul, my all. And may the love of Christ constrain you today. And may the love of the Father be your example today. And may you love the lost as the Father loved the lost. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of the Lord today. God, you are good to us. God, we thank you that when we do sin, God, when we find ourselves in a backslidden condition like this prodigal, the God that we can arise from the mire of sin, from the pigsty of sin, and God, we can say how much things were better at my Father's house. I will arise and go to my Father's house I have sinned and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But God, we thank you that you are so ready to forgive. You are so ready to pardon. God, you do not stand at the doors of heaven at this moment with hands of judgment right now. But God, you long to hear thy people repent. Lord, we know there is judgment and that is a reality. But God, we're reading today about your mercy that you are merciful and long-suffering. And so, God, I pray, be merciful to the wanderer today. Maybe those that are listening that are in prodigal living, 
that are not where they need to be. God, have backslidden and have fallen into the pigsty. God, I pray that they would know today that the Father waits with wide open arms, ready to receive them and to bring them back into the fold to make them fit it for your service. God, it is our prayer today for those that we know that are in prodigal living in our own families, that God, that you would do a work of grace in their hearts and in their lives. God, be with us throughout the remainder of our week until we meet again. And we pray now, Lord, would you allow the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart to be acceptable in thy sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. We ask all of this in Christ Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. We are dismissed.